0: Welcome to The Reading Rainbow, a podcast that summarizes and discusses contemporary LGBTQIA literature. I'm your host, Emmett, live from right outside the closet door, and today we will be discussing the emergence of trans cultures, politics, and everyday lives. Just some quick housekeeping to do before we get into today's episode. I know that I said in my trailer episode I would generally split books up into two sections, yet for the sake of not having my episodes be over an hour, I will be tackling one of the five sections of the emergence of trans cultures, politics, and everyday lives each week for the next five weeks. This is mainly because this book focuses on studies by postdoctoral researchers, so it's more technical than other books we will be tackling on the pod. With that out of the way let's jump in the emergence of trans is a collection of intellectual thought pieces scientific articles and artistic expressions of transness and the underpinnings of being trans in the 21st century chapter one is in the shadow of eugenics transgender sterilization legislation and the struggle for self-determination by julian Honcasalo. for background Honcasalo is a Postdoctoral researcher at the University of Helsinki. More specifically, he's working in the Helsinki Inequality Initiative, which is a research group under the Faculty of Social Sciences. Casalo holds two PhDs in political theory and gender studies from the New School, which is located in New York City. Honcasalo was also interviewed by Michelle O'Brien of the New York Public Library for for the Community Oral History Project. Julian Honcasalo is trans. In Honcasalo's essay, he, uh, he discusses the evaluation rationale for transgender sterilization legislation throughout Europe through the history of eugenics. Before I start this, I'm going to apologize for the blurriness of the timeline throughout the summary. This is all happening in the late 19th century through the 1970s across Europe and America, and that makes it hard to tap down precise dates for some of these cultural shifts. Honcasalo starts out with how eugenics and the myth of an ideal society led to the criminalization and sterilization of minorities in the 19th century. This belief of an ideal society was then paired with anti-Semitism to target Jewish populations across Europe. This anti-Semitism and eugenics is often tied to the Holocaust, but it was happening even before then, and of course, Jewish discrimination existed far long, far before the Holocaust. Part of the ways that people were anti-semitic, distanced Jewish populations from themselves by portraying Jewish men as more effeminate. This led to a spillover of degrading effeminacy in men. Of course, this negatively affected trans women, who were seen as unfit for experiencing what we now know as gender dysphoria, but at the time was seen as wanting to be effeminate unfit in the term of eugenics was used to describe anyone who wasn't genetically capable of producing prodigy that would lead towards a better society. It's overall a very damning word and if you want to see any of the legal precedent of it, you can look. There's a plethora of articles of how that was actually also used as a legal term but I digress. So back to, dis- to the discrimination about against trans people in society with eugenical values. This led to a pathologization of transness, a need for medical answers for what was seen as a disease. This led to trans women being diagnosed as psychopaths and schizophrenics, for trans men during this time, a desire to be more masculine was rebutted by the societal value for pure woman. People who experienced gender va- dysphoria were often taken away from this pure womanness as a category. This happened to interestingly intersect during the time with how many women of color were seen as more masculine due to the same rebuttal of pureness. Um many trans men were diagnosed with hysteria and this was doubled down on since there was an effort to correct masculinity in poor in poor woman, impoverished women dur- during this time <music> pathologization, I'm sorry I'm tripping over that word, of trans men worked in the same way as it did with trans women. There were many doctors at the time who noticed that trans women, women and men did not match up with the average symptoms of hysteria and schizophrenia and sought new diagnoses for trans individuals. But this pathologization, this making trans a medical thing, paved the way for surgeries aimed at helping trans people, but also ended up putting medical hurdles for transition in the way, which at the time included appealing to criminal courts for a need to transition. Going th- and going through sterilizations before countries would give them legal recognition of gender or name change. These laws continue to this day and have taken away the rights of trans people and their bodily autonomy. No one should have to choose between being a parent and being themselves. While this is just a summary, this piece was extremely well written and I would encourage everyone to read it. I think the history of eugenics across the globe is one of the things that ties many minorities together. We see trans people, other queer individuals, racial minorities, and disabled individuals have all faced society-based eugenics that value genetic output over individual and personal freedoms. So, chapter 2, Reconceiving the Body, a Surgical Genealogy of Trans-Therapeutics by Eric Plemons. Before jumping into the second chapter, I would like to include here a footnote on passing. This next chapter talks about tracing how trans individuals define gender and passing through surgeries for trans women. In particular, the difference between the change from high demands for general sex reassignment surgery to facial feminization surgery i understand it is not the intention or need of every trans person to pass for some people the desire to be still and to pass as cis in all aspects of life is critical to their transitions and for others it's not please never judge anyone on their desire to pass or not and transness is not determined by a desire to pass the second chapter was written by eric plemons Plemons defines himself as a medical anthropologist who is focused on the surgical practice and production, cir- this, and the production, circulation, and application of expert knowledge on gendered bodies. Well that was very wordy and kind of hard to read, kind of hard to read out loud. Essentially, Plemons is. Plemons focuses on trans studies and gender studies through the lens of medical procedures. Plemons is a faculty member in the School of Anthropology at the University of Arizona, and is a member of the university's Transgender Studies Initiative. This piece discusses how, by tracking the number of trans women electing for facial feminization surgery, or FFS, early in their transition, rather than choosing to undergo undergo Genital Reassignment Surgery, or GSRS. We can see how the perception of gender has been changed from the body as an individual individual given to the body as a socially lived product. Clemens argues that gender has shifted from genitalia to how society perceives you. He chiefly cites how FFS has become recognized as a form of sexual reassignment surgery, SRS, which is required in many places to, for a change of government documentation of gender. He briefly mentions how many bathroom bills that have been presented in the United States are hearkening back on an outdying standard of gender as being defined by genitalia. In this piece, plummets doesn't mean to say that dysphoria around genitalia has lessened, but more that if trans women who have desired to pass had to choose between FFS and GSRS, many of them would choose FFS. Um, as a trans man, this piece was really interesting as to reflect on what I want as of my transition. For me, personally, due to complications with costs associated with bottom surgeries for trans men, it is something that I am holding off to. Do on till later, but I know fully well that I will be identified as a man before getting bottom surgery. Heck, I'm currently pre-medical transition, and just with having my hair short and wearing a binder, I've gotten some people to believe I'm a younger cis guy one thing that was interesting throughout this piece was also the uses of trans dash in a footnote clemens explains that he uses it to signify how trans has multiple gendered endings that hold different opinions from people i personally as a trans person have not seen trans dash used before this article i found it interesting because while i know there are still older trans individuals who identify with the word transvestite the majority of people i met at my age use transgender I'm also willing to admit I might be missing the point of the whole trans thing, and will definitely do more research on it later. Of course, as a trans person, I don't know everything, so seeing this place for obvious improvement and further educating myself was really exciting. Chapter 3 was Becoming. Discourses of Trans Emergence, Epiphanies, and Oppositions by Natasha Kennedy. The final chapter we will discuss in depth today was written by Natasha Kennedy. Natasha Kennedy is a trans woman who is currently finishing her Ph.D. in Sociology at the University College of London. From 2010 to 2011, Kennedy was also a contributor for The Guardian. Kennedy is a guest lecturer in the Department of Education Studies at Goldsmiths University of London. This chapter examines and provides cultural context to data that was collected around the process of realizing transness for trans individuals. The study was conducted by asking trans people about their experiences of realizing their transness and then used the social activity method to analyze these qualitative data points, the stories, and to find language to organize all these experiences. What the researchers came up with was a two axis system that looked like a Punnett square when put in a visual. On one axis was the mode of becoming which was split into either an anaphoric or cataphoric becoming. Just a quick note, this whole system is based on the assumption that people have an epiphany that they are trans. An anaphoric becoming is defined as people who have a long, more drawn-out epiphany where they know they're not cis but normally don't have the language to express and claim their transness. They gave an example of study participant R's experience who's a trans woman. She said, I hate this cliche, but I always knew I was different from when I was young. From a very, very young age, my interests in that were different. I didn't like being with the boys, I liked being with the girls. On the other hand, a cataphoric epiphany would be defined as a very clear revelation for people who beforehand had no suspicion of being different or trans. This experience was contextualized by study participant SP, who's a trans man, and experiences as follows. Well, I had no idea what what it was until I was friends with one trans woman and I was like, okay, and she would talk to me about her childhood and the kind of thing that That kind of thing, and I strongly identified the opposite way. Sorry for the difference in audio. There is a little time jump between recording times for the first and second. Half of the pod this evening so back to our regularly scheduled programming on the horizontal axis there are two modes of identification opposition and alliance oppositional ident- identification is being defined as identifying with transness out of rejection of association with your assigned gender at birth on the other hand alliance identification is defined as finding transness out of identifying with other trans people an example of this could be people who are discovered their transness by seeing and commiserating with other trans individuals these two set of axes coalesce in four different modes of epiphany affirming which is an oppositional identification coupled with an anaphoric becoming An example of this experience would be someone who knew they were not their assigned gender for a long time but did not have the words to describe their opposition to their birth sex. Desubjugating, which is an alliance identification coupled with an anaphoric becoming. An example of desubjugating is someone who knew they were trans and identified with their gender but often hid or subjugated their feelings out of fear of a lack of acceptance or internalized transphobia differentiating which is an oppositional identification coupled with a cataphoric becoming An, an example of differentiating is someone who due to a sudden experience which could range from the start of puberty to the first time having sexual relationships realizes the lack of their identification with their birth sex and finally Introducing, which is an alliance identification coupled with a cataphoric becoming. An example of introducing would be someone that when they were first introduced to tr- trans spaces or, tr- or trans people would realize that they commiserate with trans individuals. Kennedy then goes on to analyze how de- delegitimization and erasure of trans individuals from mainstream society has created these different modes of epiphany. Kennedy discusses how for the majority of history trans individuals have not had a platform outside the LGBTQIA community this has led to the general erasure of trans identities from the public consciousness but now due to the proliferation of the internet and stories about trans people have begun to become more in the hands of trans individuals, and we see greater numbers of people coming out, or rather, a greater number of people having trans epiphanies. Though, we still see that many people, whether due to the lack of trans visibility when cre- compared to the larger LGBTQIA community or other factors, do not get to know about trans individuals until they are in their teens or later. This is part of the explanation for some cases of introducing or differentiating epiphanies. Some of the two other types of epiphanies can be semi explained by delegitimization. Kennedy states that since trans people are visible from some point to some point that transphobic people are no longer allowed to use erasure because if people are visible, you can't they kind of have to delegitimize that visibility instead of being able to erase it entirely. Here is where, as Kennedy sees it, the media mania over trans regret and detransitioning comes in. While only a very strong minority, often cited as around one to 2% of trans individuals who medically transition end up detransitioning, with a side note of the majority of people who detransition due to transphobic environments We see media stories sensationalizing detransitioners. Other ways of delegitimizing trans people are claiming that there's a boom in trans populations due to the youth being influenced or blaming a positive viewpoint of trans individuals being presented in the media or in education. The delegitimization of trans people can cause an anaphoric epiphany such as desubjugating, where people feel wrong or legit or delegitimized for identifying with other trans folk. Overall, though, both eraser and delegitimization craft and play a role in all types of epiphanies. Overall, I love this article. I found it really useful in explaining the many divides that are currently present in the trans community. I have witnessed trans people put other trans people down for not knowing soon enough or seemingly very suddenly realizing their trans identity. I think this is partly because no trans person has the same experience with erasure and delegitimization, so people come into the trans community Thinking there's a cookie cutter model of how people figure it out, and that's just not true. As someone who, like other people, has bouts of trans doubt due to mostly internalized delegitimization of my own trans identity, I found this article helpful in just feeling valid. Chapter 5 In Seam of Skin and Sails by Elena Rose. The fifth and final article in this section was a prose piece written by Elena Rose. Which was originally published online under the pseudonym Little Light in 2007. I sadly cannot find much information about Rose, but this piece is an artistic discussion of d- discussion of the phrase say of saying that trans people are trapped in the wrong body. Rose responds to this phrase by saying, I'm not trapped in it. There are a million one ways out of this body, and I have cloned to it. Tooth and claw display an endless line of people and an institution who would rather I vacate the premises. This is a beautiful piece talking about claiming your body and and changing it with you. The full piece, or a link to the full piece, will be in the show notes. As always, stay safe, drink water, Radically lo- and radically love yourself and others. I hope to see you right outside the closet door next week.